What's up? It's Nate from The Mix Up coming to you on a Saturday. Yes, not a Friday, but a Saturday this week. Why? Uh, I just got lazy and wanted to record this a day late. Plus, I worked pretty late last night. Didn't want to record last night. So, yeah, coming to you on a, fr uh, on a Saturday. I may start posting on Saturday every week. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Anyways, today's episode, it's going to be, well, I don't know. Is it going to be serious? Is it going to be relaxed? Like, Tuesdays was somewhat relaxed. Not entirely relaxed, but somewhat relaxed. Well, I don't know. That's up to you, the listener, the audience, to determine that. But before I get into today's episode, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Nathaniel Mahan. Uh, make sure to, to go follow me there. Message me there if you have any questions or comments or anything you want to add to this podcast, any podcast episode ideas, anything you want me to talk about, you can reach me on there. I reply pretty fast. I, well, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, I generally reply very fast. So catch me on there. You can uh, DM me with your suggestions and your questions and all of your whatever you gotta do. Anyways, without further ado, let's get right into it. So this week was an interesting week for me. I think I had my first experience with a hater. Whoa, I know, amazing, right? Um, maybe, maybe I'm getting famous. I don't know, I, I'm not. Don't, don't think that I'm that conceited, but I don't know if this person's really a hater or just ignorant. Um, to me, they're both the same. <laughs> Anyways, so, there was this guy, uh, well, basically I posted something on my Instagram story, which I do a lot. So you should totally follow me on Instagram, by the way, so you can see this and witness it firsthand. But I posted something on my Instagram story, basically talking about the uh, the anti-Semitic comments that uh, the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, or the Minister Louis Farrakhan, what's his title? Some, some Louis Farrakhan, the eccentric guy is crazy. Anyways. Something about Louis Farrakhan being anti-Semitic, which is true, by the way. It's a known fact. He's a hypocrite for it, too. But, uh, yeah, basically something about him being anti-Semitic. And I got a few DMs um, from my Jewish friends and my non-Jewish friends, you know, commenting on it. You know, most people were like, yeah, you know, he shouldn't be, you know, saying these things. You know, he's totally, you know, perverting the cause for equality and whatnot. You know, generally good things, things that we can all agree with. But there were a couple. Um, that, you know, basically criticized me, which I'm like, okay, cool. You're criticizing me. That's what I expect. I'm not going to post political things and not expect any backlash for it because, hey, that's what happens when you when you talk about your opinions and your viewpoints and whatever, right? So that's cool. I expected that. Uh, so this guy came to me in my DM. First, he followed me on Instagram. He only has like two or three posts, so I, I didn't follow him back because, you know, it's that's a waste of my time to follow someone back who doesn't use the social media platform for anything. Anyways, so he followed me and he went on my DM and said, oh, this video is fake, this and that, this and that. So I'm like, now hang on a minute, brother. Listen, I respect you. I don't know you, but I respect you because I don't know you. I don't know anything about you enough to disrespect you. But I'm like, hang on a second. This video, it's not fake. I've watched a live uh, speech by Louis Farrakhan. I, I, I've this, a couple hours of just rambling. It's very incoherent. In fact, 
Donald Trump and Farrakhan, really, it started to sound similar. And I think it's because Farrakhan's getting a bit older. He's a bit advanced in age. You can tell he's deteriorating slowly. As to get older, that happens, right? Anyway, so he was going on about how the, the, the video clip was doctored and not accurate. But then I, I thought to myself, okay, let me let me rewatch the original speech again to make sure that, okay, maybe this guy has a point. Maybe they cut something out that I missed. I rewatched it. It's there. The context is right. Louis Farrakhan is, is calling on people to basically uh, throw stones at the satanic Jews. Um, he doesn't say throw stones at the Jews or all of the Jews. He says satanic Jews. So I don't know what he means by satanic Jews. But the last time I... You know, no, like I heard was that the Jews are in the Christian and Jewish context, God's people. So I don't know how they can be satanic if they're God's people. You get what I'm saying? Anyway, so that was the whole idea of the video. And I didn't reply to this comment because I'm like, you know what? Nah, like I'm not going to argue with this guy. This guy's kind of, you know, out there. So the next day I posted in my Instagram story uh, something about basically... You know that I, ha I have some opinions to say about the Nation of Islam. You know, uh, Louis Farrakhan, Elijah Muhammad, all those people. I have an opinion about them, but I, I can't say my opinion, or else I will be afraid to be canceled. You know, canceled, quote unquote, because you know, cancel culture is a huge part of today's life, which is terrifying, especially if you're someone like myself who's pretty damn outspoken. And sometimes I think what I say can get me in trouble. I hope, hope not, but you know, sometimes I feel like it can. So I posted something about that in my Instagram story, you know, just saying like, hey, like I have a lot to say, but I'm worried about being, you know, attacked for it. So I'm not gonna say it. So he replied to that story saying to let him know what I thought, like, you know, to give him that knowledge, right? So I wrote him what would be equivalent to about a 2,000, maybe 2,500 word, you know, thesis. <laughs> a long ass thing. In Instagram, I wrote him and, um, you know, I wrote that in the morning before work. So you can tell I was pretty fired up because this is before work, right? So it was at least around six, seven o'clock in the morning. I'm writing this long ass thing, basically saying why I think their viewpoints are all screwed up. So. He came with a reply. I, I don't have his reply anymore. I think I deleted the conversation because it pissed me off every time I opened it. <laughs> Anyways, he replied with, oh, I wasn't prepared for this level of debate. Uh, I have to read up more and I'll get back to you. <laughs> now look, okay, I'm gonna be real with you. I really respected his answer. I really respected him acknowledging that, hey, you know what? I don't have all of the knowledge I need in order to level with you here. You know, like you spit some true facts that I didn't really understand or I never knew were facts and I have to go learn some more about myself. And I think that is the correct response whenever you're challenged with something that you don't really know how to respond to. You don't try to respond to it in, in, in ignorance. You try to respond to it with respect and maturity. So if you don't know the answer, if you don't have a response, say, hey, you know what? I don't have a reply. I don't know what to say. Let me go read and learn some more about it and then I'll come back to you. But the thing that pissed me off was the way he approached me first, thinking I'm some more, some random dumb guy with a random opinion or something that's irrelevant. And it, it felt disrespected. So I had to be like, you know what? Look, I'm, I'm gonna put you in your place. I'm gonna spit some true facts. I'm gonna say this, say that, and I'm gonna see what you come up with. But unfortunately, he came up with nothing, which I respect, 
but at the same time, I can't respect he, the way he approached the situation. So, of course, you're going to wonder, okay, what knowledge did I have to share with this guy? What opinions did I have to share that were maybe too worrisome for me to post on Instagram because I was afraid I'll be canceled? Now, I'll be real with you. Uh, I, I had to sort of think to myself a little bit, am I really willing to share my really willing am i really willing to share this publicly but because a lot of my podcast listeners don't follow me on instagram because hey my follower count isn't going up on instagram so obviously y'all ain't following me on instagram unless you already follow me on instagram then good for you but because a lot of my podcast listeners don't follow me on instagram i figure you know what i can probably say this and I won't get canceled because I'm a small-time podcaster, very, very small-time, and I'm not relevant enough to be canceled. Now, disclaimer, this is just my opinion. My opinion is always based on facts, never fiction. Therefore, if you want to argue with me, make sure to come up with a strong argument against me, and I will be glad to receive it. So if you have a problem with this, DM me on Instagram, and we can go head-to-head with a war of words, a war of intellect, because, hey... I'm a Pan-Africanist intellectual nomad and I respect my role in this podcast and I hope you respect your role in this podcast as a listener and someone who can contribute intellectually, all right? Don't come to me calling me a hater because of this, this, and that. Come to me saying, hey, I don't agree with you. I think this, this, and this. What do you think? Boom, bam, bam. That's how you become a mature debater. That's how you start to argue your points with effectiveness. Anyways, so basically... My goal, uh, my my opinion is this, right? The nation of Islam, I'll say nation with quotation marks around it because it's not really a nation. It's, 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 it's a figment of the mind, which really nationhood is a social construct. So you can call anything a nation, really. But I wouldn't call it a nation like how you say, you know, France is a nation, right? Anyway, so the nation basically was founded on the belief that Islam was the religion of slaves prior to... To the forced conversion of Christianity. Now I say forced conversion because 99% of the time when slaves came over, they weren't already Christian. In fact, a lot of Christian slavers, people who brought slaves over, would not choose to enslave other Christians because it sort of goes against the religion. However, if you convert a quote-unquote heathen to Christianity, it's still okay to enslave them, which is a bit hypocritical, but I digress. So basically, this belief created the sense that Islam is a native African faith, even though Islam is not a native African faith. Islam comes from Saudi Arabia, which is geographically in Asia. Therefore, it's an Asian faith. I mean, so is Christianity, so is Judaism. All of them come from Asia. The Middle East is in Asia. You know, Arabia, Mesopotamia, the Levant, Turkey, it's all in Asia. Therefore, Islam is technically speaking an Asian faith not an African faith. However, this isn't the only reason why so many slaves followed Islam. Now, keep in mind, a lot of slaves that came over from Africa or were brought over from Africa were Muslim, but they weren't Muslim by choice. Most of the time, in fact, I'll say about 95% of the time, they were Muslim for the same reason why a lot of black folks in America and the Caribbean are Christian today because their ancestors were forced to convert to Islam. Now, during the early Middle Ages and up to the high Middle Ages and late Middle Ages until the slave trade era, the colonial era, 
Islam was a huge presence in North Africa, not because of missionary work, but because of conquering, because of slavery, because of economics, right? Now, during the Islamic conquest of North Africa, of course, Islam followed the conquest. It's the same way the Crusades tried to bring Christianity back to the Levant. A lot of uh, Muslim generals and Muslim leaders and emperors, or I don't know what you really call them, caliphs, they're called caliphs, uh, brought Islam to North Africa through conquest and through mass conversion. Now, today, North Africa is mainly Muslim because of this time period back in the early Middle Ages. I'm talking like before 1000 AD. I'm talking like maybe 600, 700 AD. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a long ass time ago. I mean, it's so long ago that people don't really have a history of before that happened in terms of their family. So basically what happened is a lot of these North Africans, as well as people from the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsulas, basically the, the Arabs, uh, converted a lot of other non-Arabs to Islam and basically converted them to Arab culture, which in this context applies, implies Islam. Even though there are Arab Christians, there are Arab Jews, there's Arab everything. But in, in, in our Western mindset, Arab equals Muslim, right? which is weird in itself. Anyway, so basically what happened is throughout the centuries, these Muslim and primarily Arab and Persian uh, slave traders or, or merchants needed manual labor, which turned them into slave traders. So they first started to sail down the eastern coast of Africa up until up to uh, what is modern-day Zanzibar and a bit further south up to uh, the Swahili coast all the way down to northern Madagascar and, and, and Mozambique. Look, out on, look on a map, you will see what I'm talking about. And when they landed in these ports, they basically injected their influence the same way that the early Muslim conquerors injected their influence into North Africa. So today, Swahili is very, very similar to Arabic as well as other African languages, but it's very, very similar to Arabic. And today, a lot of people who are Swahili claim to be Arab descent or descent of Muhammad. Like if you go to Zanzibar, you're going to find a lot of people, mainly the older people and those who are really pious, claiming descent from Muhammad, even though they're black African. And most likely Muhammad was not a black African. We don't know what it looks like, but most likely he was not a black African, judging by the geography where he came from. So this is sort of the beginning of the Muslim influence in East Africa and in the biggest slave trade in the history of all slave trades, the Arab slash Persian slave trade. Now, a lot of these first Africans were brought over from Zanzibar and the Swahili coast and a bit further inland to work in what is modern day Arabia and Persia, even as far as India, as far as Malaysia and Indonesia, well, the modern day equivalents at least, because back then those nations didn't really exist. So. This is where it begins. This is where the, be, uh, the beginning of the mass conversion to Islam for Africans, or black Africans, sort of begins, is in this Muslim-run slave trade. Now, this Islamic slave trade was different from the European-slash-North American slave trade. The European-slash-North American slave trade was to drive a plantation economy, whereas the Arab-slash-Persian slave trade was to drive the entire economy. So a lot of people who were brought over from East Africa as well as North Africa to work in the Middle East and Persia were not brought over to be sustainable uh, sources of labor. If one person was brought over, especially men, they mainly brought over men, they were immediately castrated so they can't reproduce 
and put to work until they die. And then when they die, they get a new one to replace that old man or whoever passed away, right? So that's how they worked. And one thing that was mandatory in order to work, you had to be a Muslim, right? So it, this slave trade is a bit more complicated than that. Of course, I watered it down a little bit, but it's a bit more complicated. So uh, on top of that, what happened is in North Africa, when you have the Trans-Saharan slave trade route, you had uh, Muslim slave traders going down from North Africa, like Tunisia, Northern Algeria, Northern Morocco, and Libya, going down to places like Niger, Chad, Sudan, into Nigeria, Burkina Faso, like the modern day equivalents, and spreading Islam, right, through, again, conquest and slave trade and economics. But... The thing about Islam is that you can never enslave another Muslim. However, these slaves who were converted to Islam through the act of slavery were never really considered to be true Muslims because they were converted. It's the same thing that happened on the Christian side, I would assume. So when the Europeans came in and started purchasing these slaves, mind you, they purchased the slaves. They never captured the slaves themselves, right? A lot of the slaves were already Muslim through the generations of Islam being in their families. However, they were originally converted to Islam through this violent manner of slavery and economic conquest. So when you have slaves coming over to the United States and into the Caribbean and even into Brazil, there's a lot of record of Muslim slaves going to Brazil. A lot of them had Muslim names. A lot of them, you know, were very deeply pious in Islamic faith. They sort of spread this, this um, I don't know how I'd say it, this, this glorified story about how these, like the faith of Islam is a native African religion, it's a, it's a religion of our ancestors, it's something that we should go back to. And this is what the nation of Islam was founded on. It was founded on going back to this time when the majority, or not majority, but a sizable portion of African slaves were indeed Muslim. This is where the nation of Islam finds its story. This is where even the show Roots can find the story. This is why people like uh, like Malcolm X, like Muhammad Ali, and all and, and the other big figures in the nation of Islam converted to Islam. Um, and now this is the sad part. This is where it gets a bit hypocritical. A lot of these Muslims in the nation of Islam did not convert to Islam because they believed truly in the causes and their beliefs of Islam. They did, they did not truly believe that Muhammad was the last prophet. They did not truly believe that Allah was the only God. What they believed was that their birth religion, including their birth names, was forced upon them by the white man. And I'm using their words here, the white man. It's really the white system, not so much the white man. But the white man and white system go hand in hand, especially during these times, which is true, but it's only half true because Islam was also forced upon them at one point in history. Now what I say is that if you really want to go back to your roots, you have to go to Haiti. Haiti is the closest country, I think, in the Western Hemisphere to, to Africa and what it means to be African. Because in Haiti, they have Vodou, which is more than just a religion, it's a way of life. And Vodou isn't voodoo like how you see in, in, in the movies and the horror shows. It's, it's, it's a practice of healing using the nature around you, right? Voodoo is literally healing using the earth, which is, I think, a fantastic way to live your life if you're trying to be as eco-friendly and as, you know, basically close to the earth as possible. But anyways, if you want to go back to your roots, you have to go that far back. 
And it's difficult because a lot of people today see that type of religion, that type of faith as pagan, as primitive, which is again the colonial mindset that we're all taught in schools. So this was the first point, <laughs> believe it or not, I'm still on about this guy, right? This is the first point I brought up to this guy and I thought it was a pretty damn good point. But I had to go further because you know me, I can't stop at one point. I had to go to number two, I had to bring up a second point. So basically what I was talking about is how a lot of black folk in the U.S. and Canada with deep roots, I'm talking deep roots, people who cannot trace ancestry back to Africa, feel the need to attack those who were involved in the trade. I've spoken about this before, all right? I've spoken about this before. People forget about how complicated the slave trade was. Anyways, I don't want to go into deep of it again. I'm going to talk about it in a couple seconds here. So us black folks were taught by our black family members to condemn only certain parties involved in the trade. When I was a kid, I was taught that the white man captured us and brought us here against our will. When only half of that was true, they brought us here against our will, but we were not captured by them. But this is not something that we talk about in the black community nearly enough. Instead, we like to condemn those who were involved only partially, and even those who weren't involved whatsoever. We never condemn the Africans who sold us into bondage and captured us in the first place. Why? Well, it goes complicated because, uh, you know, in, in, in this mindset, the oppressed can never oppress another group. Meanwhile, everybody can oppress someone and while being oppressed themselves. It's hypocrisy. It is what it is. This is the, the society we live in today. So a lot of these people, especially in the nation of Islam, condemn those who were involved in the slave trade, which they rightly should. However, they do not condemn all parties involved. Now, this type of selective accusation is extremely biased, obviously, right? We cannot argue that it's not biased. It is biased in favor of your own party, in favor of your own views. But if we can condemn Europeans for their role, why can't we condemn the Africans for their role as well? And as you can see, I'm treading into complicated territory. This is why I was worried I'll, I'll be canceled, but obviously I'm not so worried anymore. In fact, if you want to cancel me, you can cancel me but you can't cancel the way I think. That is that. So we don't condemn the Africans. We don't condemn the Arabs and Persians who forced us or forced certain of my ancestors to convert to Islam. Instead, we point the finger at other people, even those with such a minute role. I'm talking about the alleged role of the Jewish community in the slave trade, which was extremely microscopic and extremely small scale. And there's only ever record of Jewish slave traders, well, not even slave traders, but Jewish people owning slave ships in the Netherlands, but no record of Jewish captains, no record of Jewish merchants, no record of Jewish anything actually directly involved in the slave trade, just the owner of the ship, who does not, by the way, the owner of the ship at this time, unless the owner was indeed the captain or the main person running the ship, does not determine the cargo which the ship carries. Therefore, a lot of these alleged Jewish involvees of the, uh, the slave trade may not have even been aware or may not have any say in terms of where the ships go and what the ships carry. All they determine is how much profit the ship must make. So you can see the complexity of the situation here. But this whole thing is as if we are stuck in the cycle of blaming others 
rather than looking for reconciliation. Now, look, as someone who is a strong believer in the act of forgiveness, now I was raised again, like I said before, in the church, and the thing that I took out of this whole upbringing most was that, you know, besides loving everyone for who they are and not what they are, was forgiving everyone, but not forgetting what they have done. I don't hold a grudge against anybody. I'm not going to forget if someone did me wrong or did me dirty, but I'm not going to hold it over their head. I'm not going to lose sleep over it because, hey, I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that. Why am I going to do that? But we've taken this role of blaming and hating and attacking rather than reconciling, rather than trying to fix these, these voids which were built so long ago. Today, we are not plagued by the same issues as we were 500, 600, 700 years ago. The issues are different. And these different issues, mind you, are a lot easier to solve because of our power, because of social media, because of the power of the majority. Therefore, why aren't we going and doing these things the mature way? Anyways. Now, this is my last sort of wrapping up statement. I'm going to read it exactly how I typed it out. Because this is something I, I really believe in as a Pan-Africanist, as someone of African descent. This is something that is really important for not only for us Africans, but for non-Africans as well. As a person of African descent, I cannot betray my ancestors by accepting the teaching of Farrakhan and Elijah Muhammad. This is true. I cannot betray my ancestors by bowing down to their old masters. Never mind their most recent masters. If I bow down to their older masters, I'm just the same, right? I will not betray my ancestors by believing a lie. Talk to me by Farrakhan and Elijah Muhammad or the rest of the nation of Islam's leadership. Rather, I will look up the people who glorify the strength and power of my ancestors, the independence of my ancestors, the resilience and the knowledge of my ancestors, like Margaret Garvey, Frederick Douglass, those are two I name dropped inside there because most people on the side of the world know Marcus Garvey, they know Frederick Douglass, but I could have name dropped Kwame Nkrumah, I could have name dropped Thomas Sankara, I could have name dropped Muammar Gaddafi, I could have name dropped Robert Mugabe, I could have name dropped so many people, Bob Marley even I could have name dropped. I could have name dropped so many people, but I name dropped those two because they're pretty damn well known. I look up to them the same way I look up to other Pan-Africanists because it shows you the strength of focusing on your own group and healing your own group rather than trying to diminish another group for what they allegedly did to your people in the past. I'm talking those who are anti-Semitic in the black community. Why are you attacking someone else for what they have allegedly done rather than try to heal your own people for what you can do for your future? It doesn't make any sense to me. Now look, I ended it off by saying I can go deeper, but I won't for now because I wanted to see what he would apply and he replied with, well, I wasn't prepared for that much knowledge, something along those lines, and yada, 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 that was that. Anyways, I want to close off with this statement. I've been talking about it a lot and I will keep talking about it until I see it as no longer an issue, which unfortunately would probably be the rest of my life because it's always an issue. Just because one group is going through something doesn't mean you have the right to forget what everyone else is going through. But on top of that, again, I'm seeing it online a lot. I'm seeing it all over Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. 
you will see it too. <laughs> but I see it all over on Instagram, people, especially people in, in, in this cushy Western world like Canada, the US, the UK, France, Germany, you know, even as far as Japan, Australia, New Zealand, complaining about what's happening in Yemen, which is tragic, complaining about what's happening in Libya, which is tragic but could have been avoided, complaining about Syria, Iran, China with the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, Hong Kong with the protests. They're complaining, 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 complaining. That's all I see online. It's complaining, complaining, complaining. At the same time, these people are sitting in their six-bedroom, seven-bedroom, eight-bedroom houses with their pools and their patios and their backyards. Complaining. Complaining, complaining, complaining. I want to stop you from complaining and start you to act. <laughs> because, listen, yes, I understand the world has a lot of issues. I understand these issues are complicated and you want to help. But let me tell you something. Unless you're willing to board a flight and go to those war zones and go to where they're struggling, you can't do jack. People know what's going on. Your awareness is meaningless. I'm sorry to say, but your awareness is meaningless. Because if you're posting, oh, I'm trying to spread awareness. Okay, listen, when you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you you have cancer, does he stop telling you you have cancer? No. Does he stop spreading to you your awareness that you have cancer? No. If he does, he's a shitty-ass doctor. He shouldn't be a doctor. He gives you something to fight the cancer. He knows it will not cure the cancer. He knows it's risky whatever he gives you, whether it's chemotherapy or, 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 or surgery or radiation or whatever they're going to give you. But the doctor does not stop at telling you, hey, you have cancer. Even if the cancer is terminal, like my grandfather, for example, terminal cancer. The doctor did not stop at just letting my grandfather know that he had terminal cancer. The doctor tried and tried and tried and worked and worked and worked to try and save my grandfather's life. It failed at the end of the day, but I cannot hate that doctor. I cannot say anything bad about that doctor because that doctor worked hard. So when you start posting to bring awareness, you're basically taking the easy way out. I've said this before and I'll keep saying it because it's an issue. You're taking the easy way out. Now, if you want to make a real difference, go down to your local shelter, your local Salvation Army, your local YMCA, and volunteer. Dedicate your time, because time is the most valuable thing you can ever give to someone. Right? So why don't you give that? Because clearly, a lot of you have enough time to complain, so I'm sure a lot of you have enough time to go and volunteer and go and help out. Because, look, I refuse, I refuse... To complain about a situation which I am not willing to take a risk and try and fix. I will never post, right? I may have posted in the past and I, I'm, I don't know when last I posted about this. But from today on, I will never post something about a situation which I am not willing to myself go there and try and fix it. And I encourage you to do the same because if you don't do the same, then you're a hypocrite. You don't really care. You care enough for your reputation, but you don't care enough for you know, for real. And on top of that, what I'm going to end it here because this is a long episode. I did not mean it to go this long. But on top of all of that, I'm going to call you out one more time. I'm sorry to make you feel bad about yourself, but sometimes y'all are shitty people and y'all should know that some of y'all are shitty people. But on top of all of that, one last thing. Why is it? I've said it before, by the way. I've said this before and I will say it again. Why is it that a hungry child in Somalia is worth more 
than a hungry child next door to your house. Let us sink in, man. Why is it that we're sending all this money overseas while our people here starve? I literally can see people outside my window every single day suffering. And I see people throwing all this money to a cause which they themselves would not even care enough to go and dedicate time to, rather than something that you can easily dedicate time to at zero cost to yourself. It doesn't cost anything to fly to your local shelter. You can walk, most likely, if you live in a big city, to your local shelter, or take a car, or a taxi, or take the bus. It's cheap. It's not the same as a flight to, to Somalia. It's cheap. I don't see anybody doing that. And if they are doing it, they don't say anything about it. And I think you should be saying things like, hey, I volunteered at my shelter today. I feel proud of myself. Damn straight, you should feel proud of yourself. If I donated to World Vision, I don't give a damn. I'm not going to tell anybody. It took no effort for me to donate to World Vision. You know, especially if you have money. I mean, I don't have money, but I ain't broke. So if I donated to World Vision, that's nothing to me. That's meaningless. That's something for a tax benefit. It's something so I look good. I get a cool magnet. I get a t-shirt. I get a picture of some random black kid from like 15, 20 years ago. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's ignorant and you're damaging the world by doing that. How can you pour water on your neighbor's house while your house is burning down? Anyways, I'm Nate. This is The Mix-Up. You'll catch me on Tuesday for Tuesday Talks. Hope you all staying safe.